Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. Saddle up for action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code RTFP. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. 18 plus 21 plus in certain states to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligible restrictions apply. Voidware prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. But it's not just any. Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It is a Wisdom Wednesday presented by DraftKings. Speaking of that, by the way, Make sure you check out the Business of Sports podcast this week because Andrew Brandt is all over this Washington football team investigation, everything coming out of the NFL League meetings. As you know, this year we're kind of alternating Andrew here on the Ross Tucker football podcast every other Wednesday. I am so fired up for today's guest. I told you yesterday, his name is Ryan Paganetti, very bright guy he was in charge of game management for the Philadelphia Eagles under Doug Peterson if you follow me on social media or you watch me do games or whatever you know this is a pet peeve of mine the Eagles did it extremely well under Peterson under Ryan Paganetti's watch we'll dive into all of that in a couple of minutes I should mention we're only two days away from more winners Spread the word via social media, at Ross Tucker NFL, at Ross Tucker Pod. Looking at those Facebook shares, I just posted a clip to Facebook.com slash Ross Tucker NFL, as well as the quote tweets of either at Ross Tucker NFL or at Ross Tucker Pod. Sponsors, we got a bunch of new ones that are awesome, AutoZone and Crocs, among others. Make sure you send me those email confirmations after you take advantage of any of those, if you want the Madden. And then the YouTube shout-out, youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. That'll be Friday. Love doing those cameo-style videos. It's Big Show time. The Big Show. All right, so as promised, I've been looking to get a guy on like Ryan for a long time and came across his Twitter handle you know, over the course of the last year or so, obviously was familiar with him during his time with the Eagles. So I guess, and by the way, follow him on Twitter. It's at Paganetti Ryan. Is that right, Ryan? Yeah. Okay. So let's start with your background, Ryan, because I, I know, but I'm not totally like you played football at Dartmouth, right? Yeah. I wish I had right, so Give me your background. Where are you from? What years were you at Dartmouth? What position you play? Give me, give me the background. So I was I was uh, from Massachusetts and I went to Dartmouth in uh, 2010 to 14 
unfortunately, I had to get the labrum surgery in the hip and shoulder and it kind of jacked up my career and I started getting into coaching. Um, so I like at the end of my, uh, you know, college career, I was, I was coaching in high school too. And, you know, getting some experience with that, but I also, I had an economics degree from, from Dartmouth. So I kind of had a little bit of a background there with, you know, statistical things and analytics. And I was always sort of following the, you know, the NFL analytics, you know, community back then, even when it was a lot smaller and, you know, it was a lot more considered controversial. And then I was able to, you know, I was fortunate to get an internship, you know, uh, with Chip Kelly in 2015. And then I was lucky enough to be retained by, you know, Doug Peterson's staff. And I sort of fell into this role as being like this game day manager guy for him. And um, I had a lot of fun with that. And then I sort of finished my role with the Eagles sort of as like a hybrid position as game management. And then I also was assistant linebackers coach. And, you know, we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of ups and downs. Like I cut, there was a couple of times, you know, people were roasting me on Twitter because we went for a fourth down and it didn't work, but you know, I enjoyed it and it was a great experience, particularly working with Doug, who was very receptive to analytics. So, okay, there's a lot there, man. Um, so you got into coaching right out of college. How, how did you get the Chip Kelly internship a year after you graduated? So uh, I, I actually, my, my older brother, was he went to University of Oregon this, the, the, his first year at University of Oregon was actually Chip's first year as the offensive coordinator there. And we had a connection where my brother started helping out, you know, University of Oregon as a student assistant. And then he stuck around for, you know, Chip's like six years at, at Oregon where they had tremendous success. And then Chip brought him over to um, the university. He brought him to Philadelphia as an analyst. And that was sort of my, you know, my foot in the door. And, he, and back then, like you needed to know somebody like it didn't matter. I went to an Ivy League school or, or anything like that. Like, it's, it used to be very, very hard to get any sort of opportunities in the NFL. And it still is very hard. But at the very least, you know, having that connection was important for me to sort of get my foot in the door and, I guess, get an opportunity to prove myself. Got it. So, of course, I'm sure some of our listeners will are, are wondering, what are you doing now or what are you, uh, what are you looking to do now? So I, I actually was fortunate to get a consulting job with a college team. And um, I'm having a lot of fun with that. I'm doing a couple other consulting things, but I'm living on the beach in Florida right now, like across the street from the beach. And I, you know, send these reports to, you know, different teams and organizations and I'm enjoying that. I, I might do this long-term, like it's a pretty good setup. <laughs> so you like doing the reports and the consulting work, but then being able to go to the beach and do what you want to do. Yeah. Again, I have a little bit of freedom is, is a nice deal. I mean, particularly, the last, you know, six years, I lived a minute from the Novacare Center in, in Philadelphia, and I worked, you know, somewhere around 100 to 120 hours a week. And it was sort of my life. And now I can sort of back up and, and uh, you know, relax a little bit and figure out what I want to do. And I, I still think there's probably a decent chance I might do something in the NFL next year. But we'll, I guess we'll see what happens. And I'm definitely enjoying things right now. So, dude, you lived a minute, 100 to 120 hours a week for six years? Yeah. I mean, people were like, you know, kind of telling me that I was, I lost my mind a little bit because I wouldn't even really take, you know, the summer off when the, when the team gets like a month off, I would work every day of that. And I always, my perspective always was, you know, there's, you know, millions of fans that would one want this job and two are like, are, you know, expecting this team to win. And, and, and I, I just always felt like this responsibility that, you know, I was very grateful for my chance. You know, I was relatively young. I had the energy to do it. And I'm like, I never wanted there to be any stone that wasn't unturned that could like help the team win. 
And, you know, that was my mentality and it was probably too much. And I got burnt out a little bit at different points, but, um, you know, to, for the chance to win the Super Bowl, it felt pretty fulfilling. At least I put, at least it went towards something, I guess. Dude, you have a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. That is awesome, man. And the thing is, is not only do you have a ring, like you were a big part of it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it was just sort of a crazy how it worked out. Like, so I, my first year out of college, I actually was, um, you know, I was coaching this high school team and we would probably be lucky to get a hundred fans that were non-parents to show up to a game. Like no one cared about our games. Like we didn't even have stands. And then three seasons later, I'm, you know, coaching in the Super Bowl, communicating information in the Super Bowl. And there's 103 million people watching. And like just the, that transition was just like so crazy to me. It's still kind of hard to comprehend that that actually happens. Um, but, you know, I think just it, hopefully it's like an inspiration for some of these people that are looking to get started, you know, like get your foot in the door somewhere. And, you know, you don't, you never really know what can happen if you work hard and, you know, you prove yourself. Okay. So I want to get into how you got into the game manager role and how you would define that. So, um, Really, for me, I, I I always kept up on analytics, you know, when I was in high school and college even. And there was a guy, Brian Burke from ESPN, like really the pioneer of football analytics. I keep up on all of his stuff. And, um, you know, I, when I got to the Eagles, you know, I, for Chip, I was sort of helping out in a role, you know, with someone else that was, you know, in charge of that position in terms of in-game stuff. But in terms of setting up, you know, when to call timeouts, when to go for fourth downs, you know, how do you handle two-minute situations, two-point conversions, um, you know, I sort of had got a lot of experience with that my first year. And then my second year, Doug, because he was sort of a new coach, he was looking for someone specifically to help him out with those in-game situations. And I just sort of happened to be there. And uh, it worked out because, you know, I just ended up developing a great relationship with him. And he was, because he didn't have experience as a head coach in the NFL, he was so much more receptive than some of these older, you know, experienced head coaches that have had some success. And they they have a way of doing things and they just – that's how they're going to do things. Like they don't care. I mean, you watch every weekend. Some of these guys have been around the league for, you know, 30 plus years and they don't really want, they don't care to have some, you know, 25, 26 year old kid tell them what to do or like give them a recommendation. They're like, I already know what I'm doing. And so I think Doug's willingness to, you know, like consider the, the data and, and also the ownership was very supportive of analytics and encouraging the coach. Like, look, if we go for 4,000, it doesn't work. Like, that's fine. Like, you know, we believe in the data and like, you know, I think over time, like this is going to help us. And like, I'm not going to kill you if, you know, we go for a fourth and two and lose a game because if it's supported, you know, from the data, like that's okay. And, you know, over time it'll work out for us. So I think that combination was great. And I, I, I was very fortunate to end up in that role, but, you know, really just trying to, you know, help the coaches however I could, particularly with the in-game stuff. And then, you know, game planning, you know, like using more data or using certain, uh, you know, giving them certain ideas to maybe handle different situations differently or, you know, game plan a little bit differently. I, I had a lot of fun with it and um, it was it was definitely cool. But, you know, there was a couple of times there where we went for fourth down. It didn't work. And then people on like the radio wanted to kill me. And that was kind of interesting. And hold on a second. Did they know that? Like, I, I forget when when was it known that you were like in this role for Doug? So uh, 2016, I did this role and no one had any idea. And then early 2017, there was like a very controversial fourth down that the that the, we went for and did not get against the Giants. I think it was either week two or three. And, you know, Doug mentioned something after the game about me helping him with these situations. And then after that week, 
I was like getting like people messaging me on Facebook and LinkedIn, like hoping that I died, like, like saying like, you literally have no idea about anything. I like, people are like, did you hear yourself on the radio? Like they're killing you on the radio. I'm like, all right, cool. But I was very fortunate that right after that, we won like nine consecutive games and people sort of backed off. And obviously we ended up, you know, winning the Super Bowl that season. So like people really, you know, ended up enjoying what we were doing and like appreciating it a little bit more, but it was for a moment there, it was, it was not ideal. <laughs> So that 2017 year, I really feel like that's the first time I remember an NFL team being as aggressive on fourth down as you guys were. So the question is, what data did you have? What was it based on that you guys were as aggressive as you were? Uh, you know, I spent all, we, we were fairly aggressive the year before, but um, the reality was one, we weren't, we didn't convert some of these fourth downs and two, we were losing by a lot in a lot of games. So, you know, we were going for fourth downs. The teams probably would have went for anyways, but um, you know, that year we were leading games or, you know, there were some critical situations where we converted and things like that in 2017 and it got more attention. But, you know, I spent a lot of time with coach Peterson after that first year, because my first year with Doug, I, you know, I was just sort of new and he was new and like, the, I was sort of a, almost like a nobody. And the last thing I was going to do is like tell this NFL head coach, like, Hey, you know, you're messed up. Like we should try doing this, try doing that. But after a year in particular, we didn't really have a very good year. The first year we were seven and nine, but he was very receptive to like, Hey, are there any ways I can improve or like ways that we could use data to be better? And, you know, I think the buy-in that second year was, was even higher. And, you know, he realized like this could be an, a weapon for the team to really succeed and like really, you know, translate into wins. And um, in particular, you know, when we, when I would try to communicate things to him to get him to buy in, like I know some analytics, is definitely controversial and there'll be different results. But for me, I tried to, you know, give him the most conservative scenario, be like, assume we are terrible on offense, assume we're terrible at two point conversions, you know, assume they're great at on defense, great at stopping two, two point conversions. This, this information is still saying to go for it because a lot of times these head coaches are like, well, it doesn't factor in team strength or what if my center's hurt or they're, you know, we have, they have a great defensive tackle and, you know, the situations I was trying to communicate is like, look, in many of these instances, even if we're bad and they're very good, the data still would support going for it, you know, especially like the fourth and one and fourth and two type situations. And I think that giving him that sort of confidence that, you know, like the data was so clearly in his favor that um, I think he was, you know, really receptive to it. And then we had a streak that we converted a bunch of fourth downs in a row. And I think that really emboldened him to just keep rolling with it. So that it, it was sort of a little bit luck too that, you know, cause I def I definitely think some head coaches are a little bit anchored to their previous, you know, decisions, you know, maybe they went for the last three, fourth downs and they failed on all three. And next thing you know, they want to punt a lot or kick more field goals, but we just kept converting them. And it just kind of, it kind of was like a domino effect where he just kept rolling with it. That is awesome. So, so you keep talking about the data. What, what data do you use for these decisions, whether to go for it or not, when to call timeout, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, really, you, I guess you try to work off of historical data, whatever sample you feel like could be like representative. So maybe if you're looking at, you know, field goal rates, it's actually interesting because field goals have improved pretty drastically over time. Um, so, you know, maybe you look at the last five years of field goal rates and you do a regression of, you know, okay, of all kicks from, you know, the 20 yard line, what's the frequency of these guys going in as opposed to, you know, kicks from the 40 yard line or the 30 yard line and sort of building a sample. And then maybe on fourth downs, you don't have as many fourth downs. So maybe you're working off of 10 years of, of, of data and, you know, taking out garbage time, taking out, you know, two minute situations, trying to just create a sample of, you know, historical data that is as 
useful and, you know, meaningful as possible. Because I think sometimes you can get some misleading stuff like, okay, a team's up 17 at the end of the game and they're playing, you know, cover two or, you know, off cover four and just sort of giving up fourth and twos. Like that's not useful for predicting how you're going to convert in the future. So I think we would always sort of fine tune that and look for, you know, better samples to use. And it's actually sort of helpful now that more teams are going for fourth downs because you have like more data to work off that you could really, you know, get a good feel for like, all right, what can we expect our conversion rate to be on, you know, fourth and two? You know, maybe in the past you only had 60 plays to work off. Now you have, you know, 220 and you can get off that larger sample. You can get a little bit more confidence on like at least what an average situation is. And in general, like most of the stuff that I would communicate would typically be average, average situations. And then I would sort of like give the head coach the freedom to sort of assess based off his instinct on how our team relates to average, how their team relates to average you know, to, to sort of tilt this, some of the close decisions, how he felt was appropriate. And I think that was sort of a good model. So I'm assuming where you were up in the box yeah, and it'd be fourth and two and you'd say go or don't go, or it'd be fourth down. You'd say timeout, like take, take me through the mechanics of you. Cause it wasn't just, fourth down decisions and field goal decisions and punt. It was also timeouts, right? Yeah. So one thing I'd say is if you're communicating on fourth down, like it's all right, you've already screwed up. You, that information needs to be communicated earlier, really probably second or third down, particularly because, you know, with that play clock being so, so quick, you know, the previous play ends 40 seconds until you, you want your head coach to, to really decide almost immediately whether or not they're going to go for fourth down. And in many cases you want them to know, you know, on third down, what the necessary yards would be to go for on fourth down. So, you know, it might be, you know, we break the huddle uh, uh, on second down and I might mention to coach Peterson, like, Hey, you know, if we get to fourth and you know three or less here, this would be a go for it situation. And then after second down, we get to third and five. And then all of a sudden he's willing to run the ball on third and five, knowing that he might have two downs or, you know, a two yard gain would might be good enough to go for a fourth down as opposed to, you know, just typically calling a drop back pass, which is what 98% of teams would do there. Um, but even with timeouts, like the timeout stuff will get super complicated because, you know, you're talking about like, all right, if we get tackled inbounds, we might want to call timeout here. You know, if we get sacked, we don't want to call timeout. If we gain three yards, we might want to get on the ball and no huddle, but we don't want to go super fast. But if we gain seven yards, we do want to go fat. Like there was a, there was a lot of things going on and I was trying to, you know, communicate as clearly as possible so that uh, something unexpected didn't happen, if that makes sense. Um, because the, the worst thing would it really, in my opinion, is when you're wasting timeouts because you're you're just like not very efficient in your process. Um, and then, you know, trying to factor in different things like, OK, you know, offensive coaches obviously want to score in two minutes. But at the same time, in a perfect world, you're scoring with, you know, very little time left on the clock. So like trying to find a balance between, you know, huddling and taking your time in a two minute situation as opposed to just going for the touchdown as quickly as possible or at the end of the game, you know, if there's, you know, two minutes and 56 seconds left after their first down, and you're in four minute defense. Like, do you call timeout there? Do you, do you let the clock run down 39 seconds? You know, just you trying to use data there to, you know, assist the coach as much as possible. But um, same thing with like two point conversion situations, like at some point on the drive or prior to a drive, I might mention like, okay, you know, it's a TV timeout. You know, if we, if we do manage to score here, you know, the data would support leaning towards going for two. It's not, it's not the end of the world if we don't. And then there might be other situations where, 
you might be like, okay, if we do can we do get a touchdown, the data very, very strongly supports going for two and, and you know, just sort of giving them a heads up so they're not, you know, I guess wasting time deciding. And and you know, maybe you can have an offensive coordinator or a quarterback coach in the back of their mind starting like looking through a two-point menu on that drive to sort of prepare for the situation. But I think the big thing for us is we were always trying to be very uh ahead of the game and not making decisions on the fly last second, because the worst thing you can do is, you know, make the decision on fourth down. All of a sudden you get it. You're going to get a delay a game. You're wasting a timeout deciding. And I think that process is really inefficient. And you see that every single week where teams are continuing to do that because they're just not as thoroughly prepared in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, uh, two more quick ones, Ryan. Um, this is phenomenal. This is exactly what I was looking for. So, where would you say – I guess I'll ask the other one first. Why are certain teams so bad at it? I mean, I'm just here watching on TV or I'm at the game, and I even wrote a story for DK Nation a couple of weeks ago about this. I tagged you in it. I, I'm just amazed how often uh, teams make what I think are really, really egregious errors. Like even that Seattle – Rams Thursday nighter where it was like the Rams ran a play when they shouldn't have. And then the Seahawks didn't call timeout when I felt like they should have It almost makes me question myself. Cause I'm like, do they have some data? Like, am I missing? Cause I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Right. Like, am I, but it's, it's, it's hard to believe what I think are clear mistakes. Sometimes. Why do you think some of these teams are so bad at it? I think in my opinion, it it really comes down to many of these guys have been in the league for so long and have had success. You know, overall, their career records might be greater. Maybe they've had a great quarterback their whole career. And because of that, you know, they paying attention to these small details, like they simply don't have a process in place or they don't have somebody specifically helping them. Or they and, and these head coaches or coordinators, they in their mind, they have a way that they believe is winning football and, that, and that's how you operate. And they don't really care what the data says. And they might not even have anybody specifically helping them in game or, you know, on a weekly basis. And it's, it's a weird situation for, you know, say an ownership or a front office where like you might have a coach that his career record is, you know, he wins 60, 65% of his game. So he's considered a pretty good head coach, but you know, because of that, you're not in a position to, to make changes there, but they consistently are making mistakes with the game management stuff. But they they also have the leverage to not change, if that makes sense. Where yeah. like I think, I think you're going to see more and more head coaches get hired in the future where there's a, somewhat of a requirement that they have some kind of analytical person or game management person. Because I, mean, I you're completely correct. You know, some of the decisions, I think Twitter gets a little bit ahead of themselves saying that a coach was 100 million percent wrong. But there are some that, you know, I think, you know, you might look at eight different models and all eight would very clearly say that the decision that was made would be a mistake. And I think those cases, um, you know, these guys definitely need help. And, and until something changes, you know, like their team starts losing or some team, for example, like the Eagles win a lot of games using analytics. That was something that I think motivated more teams to, to do this is, you know, seeing a team win the Super Bowl, going for fourth downs, going for two point conversions. And could, because the NFL is such a copycat league, they just go back and see what the previous Super Bowl winner did. And everyone tries to like take some things from that. Just like even last year, you know, a lot of teams saw what Brandon Staley was doing with the Rams. And now all of a sudden you see all these teams trying to run too high stuff on first and second downs and almost copycat that to like varying levels of success. But I think that's such a trend in the league where teams look at what was the most successful the previous year and they all want to start doing it. And it's like, they need to see somebody 
succeed with it before they actually will do it. Yeah. La- last one, I guess, Ryan, would just be what, what do you see as the biggest area for potential improvement, whether it's fourth down, two-point conversions, timeout management, or something we didn't even talk about? I think just, you know, using data for actual game planning and like evaluating different schemes. I think we're getting to the point, you know, some of the really interesting stuff with next gen stats and, you know, GPS tracking where they can almost, you know, I I think ESPN has a model that basically can identify coverages immediately upon the snap. Like that's pretty exceptional. And then maybe you can start to look at like, okay, what's the best thing against Tampa two? What are, what are the best concepts out of this formation, you know, against an under front or an over front or against the bear front? I think we're getting to that point where you can, you know, have a little bit more in-depth analysis than rather than just say, okay, run or run pass or call more play actions, but actually, you know, discussing some actual concepts that could be done. One thing that I think is super interesting that's going on right now, though, is that particularly with all these teams playing too high defenses, um, I think you're seeing the number of possessions in the game is de- and and the fourth down aggressiveness. The number of possessions in the game is decreasing. Because offenses are getting better, they're staying on the field more. There's a lot more like dinking and dunking with short passes. And what it's doing is it's making it so that these underdogs, I think, are having a better chance of staying in the game because you're seeing these long, methodical 12, 13, 15 play drives because the other team is just sitting there and too high. And what's happening is like you get to halftime and both teams have only had the ball, you know, two or three times. And I think that the frequency that that's occurring is 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 happening so much and now you're seeing more and more upsets or you're seeing away teams you know maybe relatively equal in in, the, in terms of win percentages compared to the home team just because the number of possessions are down and when the possessions are lower you see more like fluky things like one little play here and there an interception a tipped pass could you know change the outcome of a game and so if if more games are having you know eight nine possessions as opposed to in the past they were you know 13 14 15 possessions you're going to see more upsets and you're going to see more games where, you know, teams like Mahomes, like Mahomes might just not get on the field enough to, you know, make plays. But it's uh, it's sort of an interesting deal how that's sort of working out at this time. And I think to some degree, you're going to see more teams, I think, getting away from the too high stuff and moving back towards, you know, being aggressive and challenging and trying to make something happen on defense. Check him out on Twitter, at Paganetti Ryan. Ryan, this is fantastic. Thank you so much, man. I'm so glad we got to connect exactly what I was looking for. And, uh, Good luck next Friday night when my Tigers come to town, man. You're going to need it. (laughs) Peace. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. There he is, Ryan Paganetti. That was awesome, man. So awesome. Almost as awesome as your car being ready to rock and roll once the bad weather happens. That's why AutoZone has Visibility Week from November 1st to November 7th. Wipers squeaking or streaking? Yeah, it's no good. $10 bonus reward when you buy two Rain-X Quantum wiper blades. Why don't you just get in the AutoZone rewards program? They'll give you 5 bucks just to do that. Then you can get the Sylvania LED Fog Twin Pack with a $25 bonus reward. So long daylight savings time. AutoZone Visibility Week is right around the corner. Ready to see more and drive safer? Visit your nearest AutoZone or head to AutoZone.com to start your job today. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Ducks takes. Morning, Ross. Uh, let's start with some COVID news, unfortunately. Packers wide receiver Alan Lazard 
Join Joe Barry and Devontae Adams on the COVID-19 list, and Bears head coach Matt Nagy announced that he has also tested positive. Right. Well, we'll talk more about what it means for the Packers tomorrow with Greg Cosell. They've got that Thursday night game. No D coordinator, no two of their top three or four receivers. That's rough. And if Nagy tested positive, unlikely he'll be able to coach the Bears on Sunday against the Niners. Ducks takes. Onto the injury front, looks like Jags wide receiver DJ Chark and Saints guard Andres Pete both done for the year. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the older I get, the more injuries bother me. It's part of the game. But, you know, I'm 42 now and I realize that these injuries stay with you. You know, when you're like in high school and college, you don't look at it that way. It's like, oh, okay, I broke my arm. It'll heal in six weeks. Well, the reality is some of these injuries stay with you. And and by the way, those are both big losses for those teams as well. Ducks takes. Broncos made a couple of trades over the last couple of days, acquiring uh, defensive end Stephen Weatherly from the Vikings and linebacker Kenny Young from the Rams. Right. These are like draft pick swaps for the 2023 draft late round picks. It is interesting, though, that the Broncos are clearly trying to upgrade their roster for the rest of the season. I mean, they are they are not relenting. They are not yielding. They're not saying, hey, this isn't our year. They still believe they can be in the mix. Otherwise, I don't think they'd make these moves. Ducks takes. And finally, Texans owner Cal McNair apologized for a racially insensitive remark at an event back in May. And Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin has shot down any talk of leaving for USC. I I don't even know what to say about the McNair thing other than, you know, just because your father was successful or an owner of a team or whatever, it doesn't always mean that, you know, the children are like that too, right? So I guess that's the only point. I've never met Cal McNair. I don't know the guy. But I do think there are times where the – the apple does fall far from the tree. I don't know if that's the case with Cal McNair, but I've seen a lot of family businesses. Look, I know a lot of successful people and their kids are, are not cut from the same cloth. I'd say as for Mike Tomlin, that guy's hilarious. Always. I mean, never say never, but never thought that was awesome. Look, Carson Palmer said that USC would love to have him. Of course they would love to have him. I love overcoming the odds. I love rewriting the playbook. I love delivering under pressure. I love the MVPs of small business that lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their business and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, it's a network working for everyone. Speaking of small businesses, what an awesome transition, Bri. We go right from there to Pizza Boy Brewing, Sportaculture, Vision Comics with an X, HumanHeadNYC.com, SteakhouseSports.com. Even Money College Draft, both already posted. Fantasy Feast Episode 1 will be a little bit later today. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. 
Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. A lot of times on the show, I mention DraftKings. Here's what you need to know. You got to be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or in Indiana, 109WITHIT. By the way, if what I was talking about included a deposit bonus, doesn't always, sometimes it does. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough, and deposit bonuses are paid out in site credit. 